discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. Welcome to the Total Liberation Podcast. I am Mexi, and today we have on the show Monica Engebresten from Cruelty Free International, which is an organization that's been around for a century, actually, and which campaigns to abolish animal testing. Today we're talking about two pieces of legislation that the organization is working on in the U.S. that would make a big difference on this front, and we talk about what some of the much better alternatives to animal testing are. It's actually incredibly outdated as a practice and should be definitely obsolete at this point. Content warning, uh, Monica describes a few examples of how animal testing is being used when it doesn't have to be, so there are mentions of animal cruelty throughout. We do end, though, with ways that people can get involved everywhere, even outside of the U.S., so stay tuned for that. Before we dive in, I'd like to give a huge heartfelt thank you to our new patron donors. Thank you to TMQ, David Sace, and Prudent Penguin. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash totalliberation, or you can give us a one-time tip or donation on our website at totalliberationpodcast.com. If you don't have the means, no problem. An absolutely incredible way to support the show is just to share the episodes with friends and family, or to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. That really helps to increase our reach, and I always love reading the reviews. So thank you so much to everyone who has done that. And now, without further ado, let us get into the interview. Monica Ankebretson. I am the head of public affairs for the North America Campaigns for Cruelty Free International. Uh, Cruelty Free International was established in 1898, so a really long time ago, and we were previously known as the British Union for the abolition of vivisection. Um, but we recently changed our name about you know five years ago, if that could be considered recently, to Cruelty Free International to reflect better reflect our international work and of course modernize our name. We work to end animal experiments worldwide and we do this by investigating and exposing the reality of life for animals in laboratory and challenging decision makers to make positive difference for animals and we champion better science and cruelty-free living. So um, that's kind of an overview of our organization. We work, uh, we're headquartered in London and I'm out here running our U.S. campaigns and also handling Canada as well. Amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that's so wonderful that it's such a an old organization um, that's been doing amazing work for so long. So I guess for people who, who aren't aware, could you maybe start by giving us some insight and background into animal testing? So like the in, the industries that use it, the scale at which this is happening, the kinds of cruelty that goes on, and maybe con- content warning for this next little bit. Um, I just think it's really important to give people an understanding of the scale of the problem here, since this is something that is very much hidden away from the general public. Yeah, I guess to look at the the broader, the in, kind of international perspective is that we estimate that every year 
192 million animals are used in experiments around the world. And the US is one of the world's largest users of animals. Um, we use a total of about 800,000 animals. And those are just the animals that are counted by the USDA. It doesn't count rats, mice, and birds are not counted by the USDA. So in that number is approximately 60,000 dogs, 18,000 cats, and 140,000 rabbits. To just pull out a few numbers and over 68,000 primates are wow. used in various experiments in, the, in just the US. Wow. And um, so what they will be used for is various experiments. They might be used um, depending on you know, biomedical research or toxicity testing. Uh, to test whether products are safe or will be harmful for the environment or um, in drug testing in development of new drugs and, and things like that or other kind of more curiosity driven experiments are also conducted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like what, as you were saying before, you know, what is life like um, for these animals that are being tested on? Like what, what goes on yeah, so it depends on the experiment that's being conducted, but even if we set aside the actual experiments, which often involve pain and depending on the, the, pro, the research protocol may not um, um, provide pain relief, that the, the animals will be not provided with that, is that they are often you know, housed in a very barren environment, very sterile, barren environment with you know, really devoid of anything that allows them to express normal behavior. So even when the experiments aren't being conducted, actively conducted, the life, the living situations are pretty dire for animals in laboratories um, as far as um, you know, quality of life. Mm -hmm. so depending on, you know, I said the examples of some specific research, um, you know, dogs that are used in toxicity testing, they would be potentially force-fed, you know, a chemical or a drug for three days or up to, you know, longer than that in order to, until they um, either die from the results or, um, you know, then they are, they're measured for their vomiting and, and the bleeding and different things. And then even when they survive those experiments, they're often killed and dissected so that their, you know, organs can be examined. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's hor absolutely horrifying. Um, so in terms of, you know, like some people might say that for, you know, medical science or things like that, it's necessary to test on animals. I guess, like, what would you say in terms of, you know, whether whether any of this testing is actually something that needs to be going on? Well, one thing we could say is that, you know, animal research, it, it doesn't work very well. It, it was developed, you know, years ago, we didn't have a lot of different ways to test the product testing or experiments, but animals have never been a very good predictor of human response. Um, so just, just a few general statistics of how animal research fails is that, um, a, you know, a re recent review of 101 high impact scientific um, discoveries that were based on animal experiments found that only 5% resulted in improved treatments within 20 years. 95% of drugs that show promise in animal experiments fail when they're assessed in human trials. And the failure rate for um, drugs like Alzheimer's drug are estimated to be higher than 99%. And so then on average, it takes about 10 to 15 years to develop a new drug and most of them will fail. And this results in um, high drug prices, of course, which are then passed on to the consumers in form of high, you know, higher drug prices. So we really need to start focusing on, you know, better, more human relevant methods of testing. 
in, in other areas of research, we know that with um, you know, allergy testing, that the non-animal methods are more, also more accurate for determining you know, skin's, skin reactions and, and the type of tests that are used in like say cosmetics testing are well-developed and are also cheaper and faster um, than the animal tests that they replace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really interesting and important to to mention. And that's great to hear about the cosmetics industry, because I know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, videos and things like that. They're just absolutely horrifying of things that go on in terms of testing cosmetics on animals. Um, yeah, the cruelty is just astounding. Um, so thank you for that background. Um, so maybe we can talk about some of the bills that Cruelty Free International is trying to pass at the moment. Um, can you start by telling us about the Companion Animal Release from Experiments Act or CARE Act? Sure. So this is one that I think it's real easy for people to understand and agree with. It doesn't really matter, you know, what someone feels about the use of animals in research, everybody can agree that animals that are no longer wanted by a laboratory, whether it's that they survived the experiment and are healthy and, and, and able to live, or if they were overbred, sometimes the laboratory breeds more animals than they're going to use. Anybody could agree that those animals should be given a chance at life after the lab, if possible. And that's really what the CARE Act uh, works to do. It, it would require any laboratory that receives money from the National Institutes of Health, so that's taxpayer money, to have an adoption policy in place for dogs, cats, and rabbits that are no longer wanted by the laboratory so that they could be adopted out into homes. Yeah, I mean, that that just makes complete sense. I don't see why that wouldn't be, you know, already mandated. Um, so I guess, uh, where where are you in terms of the progress on on that bill? So the bill has been reintroduced this year and we're working to gather co-sponsors so additional representatives can sign on and you know and that gives the, the bill a better chance of, of advancing. But what we also do is we can incorporate language of this bill into different appropriations bills, which are you know the budget bills go forward. So we can push the bill uh, um, forward without the bill actually passing. However, we still encourage people to ask the representative to support the bill because it brings attention to to the issue and um, helps increase the chances that the NIH will will require this policy regardless of whether the bill passes. Mm -hmm. uh, we do know that, you know, and we were able to say that 13 states have at the state level passed similar laws. Usually they, they only apply to dogs or and sometimes cats. So this bill would expand to also include rabbits and um, just giving them that chance. And also the bill would require some transparency. So um, the adoption policies would have to be posted on the website and they would have to report on the numbers of animals that they adopt out so there's some accountability involved in the bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I'm glad to hear that there's there's movement on that. Um, I think maybe at the end we can we can ask, um, you know, what what can people listening do to help support this and kind of in a more, yeah, in, in a direct way. Um, so can you tell us about the, the second bill, the Humane and Existing Alternatives in Research and Testing Sciences, or HEARTS Act? Yeah, it's a good thing we had an acronym for that because it's a really <laughs> long. But yeah, we found that uh, we love acronyms on bills, so the HEARTS Act. Um, kind of the examples that I gave earlier about, you know, not only the, the experience of animals in laboratories and the suffering they endure, life in the lab, as well as the experiments themselves, and also the failures of animal research. The good news in all this is now more than ever, 
the goal of replacing animals in biomedical research and regulatory testing is within reach because science and technology continue to evolve. We have available increasingly modern human relevant methods that um, are able to better mimic the human condition. This includes, includes computer modeling, simulation, um, organ models, humans on a chip, um, technology clinical studies, and MRIs, and those different, all these different techniques. And these options will spare animals' lives as well as advance science while positively impacting you know, human health. However, no, and this again, no matter what, what somebody thinks about re animal research, Nearly everyone can agree that whenever a non-animal method is available for replacing the use of animals in research, it should be used. And I think most people probably believe that that's the case. Unfortunately, it isn't. Um, animals continue to be used in research, even research that's funded by the NIH, which is taxpayer money, even when there are alternatives available. So what the HEARTS Act would do is require that the NIH establish incentives to make sure that investigators use available non-animal methods, that they standardize the guidelines for what a researcher has to do to evaluate whether there is a non-animal approach to the research that they are asking for funding for. And that when this proposal, the researchers put forth a proposal that the NIH then reviews, that somebody on that review team has to have some expertise in non-animal research methods so they can adequately evaluate whether or not there's another um, approach to the research that's being proposed. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that the HEARTS Act um, would do and make just really the simple thing is making sure that anytime there is a way to study something that doesn't use an animal that that, that technique is actually used so that animals are not used in research where there is a, another method available. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that just makes absolute perfect sense. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it's in terms of, you know, getting people to care about animal agriculture and things like that, there's often a lot of cognitive dissonance where people, um, you know, would be horrified if they knew that that was happening to dogs or, or cats or things like that. Um, but they have a harder time connecting with the fact that it's happening to other animals. Um, but for this, you know, like these experiments are happening on companion animals, right? And, and animals that, um, people I, I think would, you know, uh, have be very averse to knowing that this is happening to, and yet there are, you know, all of these alternatives that you mentioned that just aren't being used. And, uh, I think there's really not enough awareness of, um, the scope of the problem as, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I guess if people are interested in these alternatives, like wh where can people learn more about them? Or I don't know, could you say any, anything more about the alternatives to this kind of testing? Sure. Um, our website, of course, has lots of information on all mm. these areas. And it is, it's a very big area. So it's uh, kind of hard to zero in on. But um, if we could talk about some other, you know, types of examples in, in you know, all types of testing. So, you know, for example, in the area of product safety testing, we mentioned before, there's a skin allergy test, you know, the skin allergy test that's conducted on guinea pigs only predicts human reactions 72% of the time, but using alternatives, which is a combination of chemistry and cell-based, you can use, you know, human cells can be grown in a petri dish, those cell-based alternative methods, they have an accurate prediction rate of 90%. So mm. that is an example of direct human relevance being better than the animal test. 
In another area of chemical safety, there's a standard test on pregnant rats that's done to determine if, if drugs and or chemicals will harm the developing baby. And that only detects 60% of dangerous substances, but a cell-based alternative accurately detects very toxic chemicals 100% of the time. And so once again, and then also like we mentioned organs on a chip, which are, is a very exciting development and it, which can be used in drug development. They accurately mimic the heart, kidney and lung and gut. And then of course there's public health studies. Human data can, be, can reveal information about diseases and health outcomes in different populations. For example, smoking doesn't cause cancer in mice and rats. And so these studies that were done on mice and rats years ago failed to identify what human studies found is that smoking causes cancer. In fact, only an estimated one third of substances known to cause cancer in humans shows can, um, causes cancer in animals. So that you know, these are some of the things. And of course, in neuroscience, uh, looking at using MRIs, they can measure neural activity you know, in human brains, people that have human conditions and see what's going on in the brain harmlessly you know, without the, using the, you know, invasive primates uh, research, which is often the animal that's used for human brain studies. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, and again, I think really important to highlight because I think, um, I think a lot of people are probably working on the assumption that, oh, if we don't have animals undergoing these tests, then that means that we're going to have to have humans, you know, undergoing these really unethical tests, you know, being fed, as you said, the dogs are being fed these toxic substances, and then you're just, you know, uh, recording all of the the pain and horror that happens to them. Um, but that's absolutely not the case, as, as you're pointing out, like, there's so many different alternatives that people are probably not even remotely aware of. Um, that really are exciting because it make, it makes the the whole idea of animal testing um, seem really like obsolete at this point, right? So that's really fantastic. Um, so can you talk about the progress on the Hearts Act and kind of where that is at the moment? Right. Uh, the Hearts Act we have bipartisan support, which is always really nice to have, you know, in this kind of mm -hmm. political climate. So it's co-sponsored by. Uh, Lucille Roybal-Allard, who's a Democrat from California, as well as Ken Calvert, who's a Republican from California. And we have several co-sponsors on the bill. And once again, with this bill, we've been able to include components of this bill in the annual, um, the easiest way to describe it is an annual budget bill, where we can put basically pieces of what the bill is asking for into the budget bill so that the NIH at least has to respond to some of the questions and issues that are being raised in the bill. We've been successful in including that language in the budget bills that have been passed so that we can kind of start chipping away. It's a way to sort of chip away at the issue and get some of the issues addressed without the bill passing because um, it takes a long time to pass a bill, even though that's still, still the goal. Uh, we are making progress with it um, without you know, moving the bill forward. And I think once again, to, for people to understand, even if you like you mentioned that it's hard for people to imagine that oh what would we use you know animal you know how would we study various things without using animals or worrying about that humans would be then be used in unethical studies for bills like this they don't have to decide how they feel about it yet obviously we have lots of information that we'd like to tell them about about the unreliability of animal tests and and some of the wasteful tests that take place but they don't even have to have a position on that if they don't want to for this bill they just have to believe that when an alternative is available it's as good or better in most cases than the animal method it should be used especially when a researcher is asking for government money yeah absolutely 
Um, and to me, that just makes perfect sense. So hopefully, uh, hopefully others agree. Excuse it might me. be interesting if I could ex describe a few different experiments that um, have recently been funded by the NIH that I think people would find surprising that our tax dollars, you know, funded this sort, sort of research. If you want to hear a, a few examples of, of the sorts of things that, on the one hand, there were other ways to, you know, study these effects, and and at the same time, these testing, this these research um, studies seemed pretty un, unnecessary considering the amount of information we already have on many of these subjects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be fascinating. I, I, I kind of pulled out a few examples. The first one I call boiled squirrel monkey tail. So this was in 2021. Squirrel monkeys had the bottom of their tail shaved and then dipped into scalding water about oh, 131 God. degrees Fahrenheit to see if the drug that they were given would alter the time before the monkeys withdrew their tail. So the authors even stated that the water would be painful to a person's hand, you know, capable of leading to a second degree burn within sec 17 seconds and a 30 de third degree burn in 30 seconds. And this research, it doesn't state what happened to the monkeys after the experiment was over. We have no idea whether they killed the monkeys or whether they went on to be used in other experiments. But you can imagine there's probably lots of ways to determine whether or not a, you know, a drug reduces pain and um, certainly and whether or not you know dipping monkeys tails in scalding hot water is really an accurate way to determine you know, pain effects. Another one I call stressed monkey menstrual, menstrual cycles. This was also in, in 2021, 27 female monkeys were imported for this experiment, again, with taxpayer money, and they were housed singly and exposed to a combination of stressful stimuli, including having, having their diet reduced by 25% and being forced to run for 30 minutes a day, five days a week on a treadmill. They were then held at the end of the experiment. And it was to study the human condition of a type of infertility um, involved in sustained absence of a normal menstrual cycle links, linked to stress. This research was already conducted by the same researchers in 2008, and this issue, the issue of, of course, reproductive disorder in people continues to be studied in people who have these conditions, and it really can provide the only source of information that's really applicable to people because stress is a very compounded problem specific, you know, it's, it's impacted by many different things in a person's life that go beyond what you could, you know, learn from monkeys being basically starved and forced to run. So these are the types of research that um, we think calls to question whether there was another way to find more information on that menstrual condition and whether the research on those primates really gives us any insight into the human condition. That is absolutely unbelievable, honestly. <laughs> I really cannot believe uh, that that is the kind of thing that is being funded. I mean, especially... Yeah. I mean, obviously the first one was absolutely, you know, what a s extremely strange and disturbing way of trying to measure uh, pain relief through medication. Uh, I mean, that's just beyond comprehension. Um, but the second one as well, I mean, I yeah, I, I know that there's already a lot of research that's been done on that with, with humans. So I, I, yeah, I really fail to see what the point of forcing monkeys through that um, 
would tell us whatsoever. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for sharing those, uh, those things. Um, and yeah, I think that really underscores the importance of the hearts act, um, and why we should all definitely be supporting it. Um, so I guess along those lines, um, you know, what can people who are listening do to help progress these bills in particular, if they are in the U S or maybe support similar activism elsewhere? Cause I know that you, uh, you're a global, co- uh, organization. Yeah, so for the Hearts Act and for the CARE Act, both are in the House of Representatives, so they could um, kind of cover both the laboratory adoption bill and the bill to ensure that non-animal methods are used whenever possible, which is the Hearts Act, by contacting their federal uh, representative in Congress, and they can do that either by calling them or uh, sending an instant email on our websites. We have various, you know, the action alerts where they can send an instant email, but a phone call is also great, and just ask their uh, representative to become a co-sponsor of the bills. And if they're already a co-sponsor, that's okay. You don't necessarily have to know that. If they are, then you thank them. You know, oh, Phil, thanks. You know, they, Congress, um, members of Congress love to be able to tell their constituents that they've already done something that they've been asked to do. So don't worry <laughs> about trying to find that out. And once again, these are bills that it should be really easy for these, for legislators to support these bills because it doesn't ask them to take a position on animal research. It just asks them to say that animals deserve a chance to live after the lab and that alternatives when they're available should be used, you know, in, in research. So it should be an easy ask. The, um, the challenge sometimes is really just cutting through the noise. Legislators are pulled in lots of different directions. There's lots of different bills, you know, for them to consider. And there's lots of different animal bills to consider. So bringing their attention to these two is very helpful. Yeah, amazing. Wonderful. So we'll definitely put links to your website in the description box below. And so people can, uh, you know, find the relevant email chains that you were talking about. And what about for people who are outside of the US? Is there is there ways to support similar activism uh, globally? What are some advice for people on figuring out what's going on locally to them? Yeah, so our website, uh, cruelty you can kind of see what we're doing around the world and in our, our partner organization, Cruelty Free Europe, which includes a coalition of groups around Europe, uh, the different campaigns that we're involved in there, because, um, you know, clearly it is a global issue because, you know, the drug industry and chemical manufacturing, cosmetics industry, they are all international companies. So it doesn't really do any good just to shut down animal testing or, um, have alternatives being used in one part of the world and just move the animal testing around. And, you know, so you really have to end it in every economically significant country in the world, because if one country still requires animal testing, whether it's for their cosmetic or drug, then it means that a company in the U.S. is going to conduct that experiment, even if it's not required in the U.S. So that's the international aspect of our work really kind of brings it together and the, the importance of that that we need to work internationally to change the regulations and practices around the world in order to end animal testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I'll definitely link to your website in the in the show notes. Um, is there anything else you would like to add today for our listeners? I think those are the, the main points uh, that people have something, you know, directly that they can um, take action in. They can, um, in their personal lives, um, look to 
adopt an animal that's been rescued from a laboratory if they are able to do that or foster one. I'm currently fostering a rabbit who was released from a laboratory and it's been a real nice rewarding experience to you know, work with her and gain her trust and um, teach her about life outside of the lab. So there's some ways that people can do some hands-on work that's really fun and um, rewarding as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so that's so wonderful. So yeah, I definitely encourage that as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us all about this today. Um, is there a place where people can find you perhaps? And no, no problem if you don't want to be found. <laughs> uh, but if there is, a, you know, let, let people know where they can find you. Oh, sure. And you know, my email, my last name is really hard to spell. So it's Monica Ingebrigtsen at cruelty-free-international.org. But you don't have to spell Ingebrigts and you could just say USA at cruelty-free-international.org. And that comes to me. So that's the easier way to find me. Nice. Perfect. Well, thanks again. And best of luck with these very, very important bills. I really hope that these come to pass. Thank you.